Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Centre Left Politics Podcast, hosted by myself, Malcolm Clark, and my co-host, Carl Culliam. Please take a moment to subscribe, and don't forget you can always drop us an email during the week at centreleftpod at gmail.com. So this week we have a packed agenda to get through in the next hour. Uh, we're going to discuss uh, Dominic Raab. Feels like old news, but uh, we, we just missed last week the publication of the, the damning reports that led to his resignation. We're going to cover Diane Abbott. We're going to cover our local government predictions. We mentioned last week that we would make some predictions. Um, Carl's has about an hour to think about it. Uh, we're going to predict a number of Labour seats. That we're going to, I'm going to make a presumption in this. that We're going to think about how many seats Labour are going to gain and how many seats the Conservatives are going to lose. Now, if Tories have a great result, then we'll be totally wrong and they'll gain. But we think that's a safe bet. Uh, we're also going to, speaking of betting, we're going to look at uh, the issues surrounding the gambling white paper, which was released today. And our thoughts on Joe Biden confirming that he intends to stand again for a second and final term as the US president. Uh, but before we break into that main agenda for this week, how has your week been so far, Carl? And, and welcome back. Thanks, Malcolm. I've not been away. Well, I, mean... <laughs> well, I haven't seen you for a week, so it's like... Oh, yeah, no, fair again. enough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's been all right. I don't, I've got everything interesting to say this week. Uh, I mean, I don't, I, arguably not any week, but... Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm not as absolutely. Na- I apologise for anything I may have said and have now completely forgotten last week because I was absolutely knackered last week, and was yeah could have could have said anything. Uh, I'm a bit less knackered this week, and surprisingly so, because my daughter's been a bit ill and she's been up all night coughing most most nights oh, this until last night, when and I probably shouldn't say this, but I, I, I'm gonna tell whoever's listening um i paid her to not wake us up in the night <laughs> so i gave her a tactic <laughs> i gave her a pound this morning and she didn't shout us at all in the night so that's a win as far as i'm concerned i mean i think if she'd have been as as you know as ill as she was earlier in the week might not have worked but um this tail end um, yeah, we got a, I got a full night's sleep last night, so I'm feeling that bit better. How about you? How was your week? It, it's been very busy. Um, must admit, I'm not sad to see the back of it. Um, I hope people appreciate the uh, the free childcare advice on how to get your kid to sleep, <laughs> which is available free on the podcast. Spread, spread the word. Uh, we'll cost give you a pound. A pound. <laughs> yeah. Just think, all those kids who have cried themselves and drove their family mad, all they had to do is give them a pound. That's it. Yeah, dead easy. Yeah, she's five, so I think probably the price will go up. As, as oh, absolutely! <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna get the capitalist streak will come out uh, in the children very quickly, I think. But then gradually they will return back to more socialist values and share the wealth round, hopefully. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but yes, a busy week for me. I was down in London, had a bit to do with work. Um, it's nice to be back. It's been very, very busy. I've had. Various extracurricular things going on this week, which is quite rare for me. So it has felt even more busy than usual, as well as being busy at work. So yeah, it's been it's been a crazy week. I kind of knew all the way through that if I got if if I got this far, you know, let's say stay positive here. Um, when I got this far, 
it was going to be like towards the end of when it was really bad. So I've been looking forward to this all week, quite literally, is the moment that I've got past the bits that felt like they weren't fun. Uh, but yeah, really happy with the agenda tonight and look forward to, to getting into it. So we're going to we're going to start by discussing something that I was, I guess you could say I was surprised by, maybe not so, because there's been a few in the Jeremy Corbyn, sort of former Jeremy Corbyn Labour camp that maybe have been agitating a bit about getting chucked and Diane Abbott did a really good job of, of managing that quite quickly with her uh, article, now infamous article that she wrote where she suggested that, um, amongst other things, that Jewish people don't suffer racism, they just get what redheads get. And then I'm paraphrasing slightly, but that was the gist of the comments that led to a, a pretty immediate suspension by Labour and some very damning comments by Sir Keir Starmer. Um, I guess, Carl, I'll just open very general opening comments you, you want to make in relation to this uh, story. I think we'll have to cover it. It's one of those that maybe, you know, it's a bit uncomfortable sometimes to cover these, but we have to sort of talk about it because it's a, it's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, it was the suspension of the whip was clearly justified. I think, um, I think Keir, you know, given all of the work, the difficult work really that he's done and his team's done to kind of root out anti-Semitism in the party, I think he couldn't have done anything else. Mm. Um, it's. It's an odd what like there's lots of odd bits to this. So she's obviously apologised. I think more than once she's apologised and quite sort of fulsome apologies. Mm-hmm. She's I think she said that it was a draft and that or something and that she, you know and that errors in the original it, draft she said. That... Yeah, but then it sort of emerged and I think I may have read this on the Guido Fork blog. So I you know <laughs> maybe you know <laughs> maybe, yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, but it, it sort of emerged that she, actually she sent two versions of it within the space of you know three hours or something. Um, so she had you know, it wasn't just the first draft; it was at least a second draft, and she so um, that that's kind of odd. And yeah, so I, it, the the sort of where it will go is the is the sort of interesting thing. She hasn't had a lot of people coming out to defend her. Uh, within the party one of the people actually that i was kind of surprised you know well i suppose listeners might be surprised given where he kind of sits is the uh, former labor advisor john mcturnan did an article um which was uh, which i think in, in lots of ways quite persuasive just about the sort of the general um about this but about the kind of general idea that we should be uh, more willing to kind of accept apologies from public figures when they when they appear to be genuine um and i think the sort of the slight oddness that i talked about might you know sort of muddies the waters in that in that respect and i think that may have come out after he, he wrote that article um so but yeah i mean I, I, yeah it, it it at this point it kind of is what it is and it's whether there's a a route back um, so that she can then you know, stand again as a, a Labour candidate in a, in a constituency. I think there's a couple of issues that, that come out of it for me. Is the, As you know, the area that I'm interested in is about political engagement and how we make it better. Clearly, the comments that she made in the article that was published, and you know, you take her at, at, at a word 
that you know there may have been redrafting, which I think would have been a very good thing. Um, but obviously, the one that got published was was clearly inappropriate, and, and I think Keir Starmer acted decisively as you'd expect him to. Like you say, he's been very clear that he won't tolerate this sort of thing, and the comments he made as someone who's involved in politics, we're about as stark as it gets in terms of condemning it. You don't get much stronger language than what he used in when he was asked about it. The, the interesting thing is, you know, that issue of how far do we, how far do we forgive based on what was a very, very quick and a complete withdrawal and, you know, fair play to her for that really. But the problem is that never's going to, it's never going to completely mitigate you know the 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 things that you say. You know, if you, once you've said them, they're out there, and people are going to get upset by them. Particularly something like this it reminds me of a story, Carl. Um, going back to the maybe the early eighties here, where there was a a, a very colourful commentator who used to go on the NFL. He was a gambler. He was one of those characters that used to be like the in in these news shows. He was called Jimmy the Greek, and you can actually there's a documentary about him on ESPN. And he was wasn't particularly educated, so different to Diane Abbott in terms of you know he was he used to just talk about betting in NFL and stuff. And it's a draft tonight, so that's probably why this is linked. Um, and he ended up talking in an interview once about how black athletes had a genetic advantage on sprinting because when they were slaves they used to run, and they would. And he, Jimmy the Greek said that they were um, almost bred to be that way. But clearly there was a huge uproar even back then on what he said on that. And it cost him his career. And I think any time when people start to nuance and get into the detail and try and explain something that has quite a binary accepted worldview, where i.e. racism is bad, all of it's bad. If you try and explain that away or try and get into the or try and nuance it, it's just a bad thing to do. We, we, we don't live in a world and people can argue some people do argue this is rightly or wrongly I, I just accept it for what it is if you get into nuance on these issues you're probably going to lose and I think that's what's happened so do you think that do you think that this because obviously Jeremy Corbyn she's now sitting with Jeremy as an independent which I'm not sure she'll be devastated about John MacDonald also um, defended her to a point You'd have to read exactly what he said. I think saying defended what she said. I'm not saying he defended what she said. He spoke in support of her generally, um, and 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 then and the history and stuff like that. And he said that could get him into trouble. But do you think this is perhaps a? Could it be that they're trying to mark themselves? Was this a, ta- a calculated thing? You know, will she even want to come back at this point? Oh really? I mean, I genuinely don't know. <laughs> if, I, if I'm honest, it's a, it's an odd thing. I mean, she's you know, she's made a career of, of off, you know, opposing the the Labour leadership, <laughs> barring that brief you know the brief period yeah. where where Jeremy was in charge. Um, so and she you know if you kind of look at her Twitter feed, she's not been that positive generally about. <laughs> <laughs> the leadership recently yeah. she's been in a few browse with people and things so I mean yeah it's, it's, and she's she's at a point where she you know she's been in parliament a long time um, she could be thinking about you know whether she she's going to stand again I, I don't know that um, 
So, I mean, I guess there's, there's always that possibility, but if, if given how quickly she apologised, it feels like that's not the case. Mm. Um, but I, 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 yeah, it's really difficult. It's, it's such an... Yeah, I just it's one of those things where she just shouldn't have done it. Um, it's clear that, you know, the suspension is right. Um, and I just can't see how, how given you know, the apology was so quick how she can do anything else that gives her a kind of proper route back and I don't know what that would be um, so yeah I, I don't know I think it's up to the Labour Party now and, and they need to do this on the basis of and I guess it's very hard to prove this. Some people might say that this that this is impossible when it comes to people who are associated with Corbyn versus the the flavour of the leadership now. But they have to deal with it in a way that would deal with anyone the same in the same situation. So it can't be a you know it can't be used as a way of getting rid of someone that you know is is a pain in the neck. You know in terms of, as you say, very critical about the current leadership and the current leader. So I think it's got to be dealt with fairly. I feel like how fast it was. Um, they dealt with the suspension was appropriate whether that whether that should be a full expulsion because then we would have to expel everybody without ever letting anyone back who make that mistake and i think that you know again looking at it trying to take the politics out the way which won't happen of course for anybody else and they have the luxury of doing that on a and just on a chewing the fat basis i think it feels to me like there should be at least the possibility of coming back with forgiveness and second chances and things like that. However, on this particular issue, there's so much history to it, difficulty, that Keir Starmer just will not want to give any scintilla of room for anyone to say that he's not quite as hard on this as he was, as he said. And that puts him yeah. in a big, really hard position. That, and for that reason alone... I think it'll be very hard for it to come back. Yeah, and if that, and if and if she does, I think it, I think it's going to be a difficult one for the. Well, it will be. A, it'll clearly be a difficult one for the local party as well. I mean, I, th- I don't think it's easy for the you know, Islington North in terms of you know, it looks like Jeremy might you know is is would stand as an independent. We you know we don't know that until yeah you know, we get to the election. Um, and that, and that's in itself not easy, and that's a, a quite that a bit more clear cut in that he hasn't uh, <laughs> apologised at all. No. Um, so that you know the how you go about that and the the selection and all that kind of stuff. I think you know it'll be a yeah. Let's wait and see. I'm sure there'll be there'll be more to to digest on this further down the line. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I think. think if Jeremy does stand as an independent, it'll be one of the most interesting results that come in as to as to what he eventually gets because it literally could be the case of he wins as he says he's very popular independently uh, that he has massive personal support and you would need that massive personal support to even have a chance so that would be super interesting he could also just perform well and then lose he could get nowhere and people say well actually it was a Labour candidate all along we're voting for so it's re- that will be a super interesting seat be one of the first ones I look for uh, in the election if he if he does go as an independent. So we'll keep. I'm almost kind of hoping he does just for the pure political drama of it. Um, 
but like you say, Carl, plenty to plenty to develop on this story. We'll keep a keep an eye on it and hoy it back on the agenda if we feel it's it's worthy of another chat. So thanks for your contributions on that one. So we're gonna take a a little step back on a, a one that we've mentioned quite a few times actually. It's it's come up numerous times, a bit of a pet favourite of ours, I think. Uh, and Dominic Raab, uh, who very, I was quite, I thought it was quite inconsiderate, Carl, that he, he resigned almost immediately after we recorded the podcast, but far yeah. enough away that we couldn't get back on to, you know, record a little extra bit on the yeah. end of it. So it was a disaster from, from his perspective. He ruined our podcast. Yeah, absolutely appalling. Um, I think we should write a strongly worded letter. Um, as long as he doesn't come and beat me up because he looks a bit scary. I, I, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of interesting stuff in, in that report, which I did read half it. I actually read it. It's a 48-page report, and I read up to page 28, which was actually the bit where they started to hammer him, and I, and I kept it for later, and I still haven't had time to read it. So I've I've read the, you know, the, the summaries and stuff. Um, I just So basically, the upshot, I'm sure everyone knows this. It feels old story, this one. It's like one I wasn't even sure we should cover, but... Given that we we've not talked about it, and we, we, you know we spent the whole time talking about it for weeks, we've got to cover it. Um, he resigned, and he resigned in a blaze of glory, questioning the impartiality of the civil service upon his following his exit. So that wasn't a breach of the ministerial code, but it kind of was, Carl. And I think that should have an effect on whether he's allowed ministerial office in the future, if that ever became something that was possible. Because I think when you make a comment like that, there should be some sort of fit and proper person test. And if you're known to have questioned the impartiality of the civil service, which is a ministerial code issue, you shouldn't be allowed to stand as a or be appointed again. But yeah, not sure if you want to comment yeah. on that. But uh, what do you think of the general Rob resignation? Uh, on the on the first point before the Rob resignation, I think um, the difficulty is that increasingly um, you would rule out large parts of the Conservative Party more than ministerial. That sounds like a reason to do I mean, it. But... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, there's clearly a sort of straight a strain of thought, isn't there, on the on the in within the Tory party that is about well, you know, the the whole notion of the blob, yeah. um, sort of came came from from the Tories. So I think I think it's a bit of a it's one of those that it's just a, you know, it, we'll just have to suck it up fundamentally because there's a there's a whole political party that has a a large faction that's wedded to the idea that the civil service are out to undermine them endlessly um and just them you know um so yeah uh, on the rob uh, resignation um uh, i was right that's the main thing i want to say that's <laughs> all you want to say really that's the end of this one we'll move on now yeah yeah i i, I sort of apologize for whatever i may or may not have said last week but i definitely said that rob was done and he is, he is done um so um, yeah, I'll be. Uh, I don't know whether he'll have time to come back before the next election. So I think he'll have to cross his fingers that one he holds his seat and two he, uh, you know, the the Tories stay in office. Um, I my understanding is from you know, and I don't have lots of links in in this way, but uh, that he's out quite a lot. Um, campaigning in his constituency right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know he's got that bit more time to do it, but I think um, he's pretty he's pretty under pressure there. So you know, the the sort of the upshot of him losing his job will 
you know, the, you know, there's good and bad. One, the good is he's gone. <laughs> the bad is he's now got more time to try and hold on to his seat. Um, and let's see if he manages it. I think, I mean, there was a couple of things I read in the report that just, again, I always like to try and step outside of things and look at things as objectively as I can, despite the fact we are partisan, of course. But I do try and do that just to understand the issues for, for myself, really, on these. And what I got from it was that, and, and listening to what people said, and it's always interesting to look at what supporters say about people. So back in Gordon Brown's tenure, for example, people would say, who liked him, he's passionate, he's can be temperamental, but it's for a good reason, and he's got high standards. And it was kind of like, you, it started to paint a picture that, yeah, there was behaviour that happened. Some people didn't mind it, but it did occur. And I think with Dominic Raab as well, I got the feeling that everyone was kind of saying, this is someone who you know spends a lot of time in the gym, apparently. Someone who has a, a sort of alpha air about him in terms of he's, he uses his physicality, not literally as in like violence, but he's people have that kind of awe, that air about them. Some people who are can be sort of physically intimidating and they're aware of their presence. They have quite a dominating presence. And, and this is all quite sort of subtle, but it does exist. And by the sounds of it, he used that in in terms of, and, and someone did comment. It sort of stuck with me, and it was a, again, it's a, it was a bit of a glib comment, I think, but <clears throat> pains it illustrates a point. Where they said every time he gets out of the car, he looks like he wants to headbutt somebody, and he does sort of have that kind of mean stare that he seems to to like a little bit like what Roy Keane does, and sort of that sort of really mean look and stay away from me, don't mess with me sort of appearance. And some people mock that particularly the politician but the reality is that I can think of some people look way more scary than Dominic Raab who I know through local football who you I've never you know had a fight with them or ever would but I certainly wouldn't want to mess with them because they just have a look about them you think oh we'll mess with you and I think that's maybe what what he's trying to do and it seems that that kind of approach that kind of dominating presence has has led people to feel uh, bullied and dominated and I, and I can think of people who I've worked with in the past who've had that kind of, not necessarily dominating physically because ultimately you hope that nobody's ever going to physically fight in a, in a job but there are people who use because an, an, if you think about it Carl in theory we should all be completely fearless to act in any way we want around anybody now the reason that we don't is because there's always that little bit of uncertainty about what might happen with certain people what might be said what might be done and you know particularly in certain circles that i'm moving like outside of sort of the professional life you do sometimes have to watch yourself around unpredictable people but for a lot of these people i've never seen any problems so it's all a perception that you've got in your head and i think that to me when i read the report i just felt that rob like to cultivate this air of dominance and i think that was the first mistake that, that he made and that you know some people who like him call it a leadership style he set high standards you know you hear the language you think well what does that mean in practice uh, fundamentally i mean this is the guy that said the sea was closed i mean i can't get away from the fact <laughs> you know the 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 kind of you know the the his failure in his you know the, the evacuation of Afghanistan, all of that kind of stuff. He he you know and the part and this has come up in this coverage as well. You know, part one of the failings was was basically because in part because. 
he refused to read an email that wasn't formatted in the right way. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's setting high standards and there's just being an ass. Um, and I think that there's, I think there's, you know, it's diff- It's always difficult to know, you know. And I haven't read the details of the report. I've read, I've read more of the, the coverage in terms of how, you know, what, what, what's there'll be, be there's clearly different levels of things. Some that lots of it didn't sort of stray into for, certainly for the report sort of bullying, but some some did. Mm. Um, and I just think that you can see, I think his reaction to it and the fact that he put that letter out before the report came out, which was basically saying, I'm going to resign because I said I would, but actually I didn't do anything wrong. That was that was the gist of it, yeah. <laughs> fundamentally. Kind of shows his whole, you know, I think that's what kind of shows him up, really. I mean, the, the letter itself, if you read it separate to the kind of the report and the, the coverage around the report, what he was saying, he made a good case in the letter. You know, if it was sort of viewed completely independently of what actually happened, but the fact that he just wasn't at all contrite, given yeah, you know, there's clearly people that have been like you say, the people that have been affected by this that he's worked with, and they're not, you know, they're not all malicious. They they've had yeah, you know, there's yeah, you know, the report says that there have been effects. It's I just. Get gone, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair, I think you know. Again, I've in my career, I've dealt with people like this, and they're never nice to work with. They're never nice to work for. You know, when somebody has a managerial position, they have they automatically through hierarchy through appointment have a are in a position of power. And if you abuse that, and in, in modern life, you know, we've all dealt with people, particularly people around about our age, Carl, who. Have been in an in industry and work for twenty years. Things have changed to what they were in twenty years ago. You know, you could get away with more, and it's quite right now that we we set standards of people who are in positions of power not to abuse it. And and, was, and this is like he went, oh, well, you know, quite a lot of these. I wasn't found to be a bully. It's like, well, perhaps not, but you were on two. But also, you were just bloody unpleasant. You know, you read the report. He was arguing about terms of reference that they shouldn't be considered. Like, I'd prefer to say to someone, I didn't do anything. Not that your terms of reference are incorrect. I mean, so, yeah, just another bad egg out. And thank God for that, really. So, um, I, but I think given his comments on the civil service, don't come back because you've clearly breached what is the ministerial code if you were a minister. But I think there should be an MP code as well. Well, that's, that's for another day, I think, Mark, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So uh, right, so we're going to move on because we are we are getting through the time, burning through the time here. Um, Carl, you wanted to just quickly touch upon PMQs with new nicknames for Keir Starmer. Well, not even I mean, new nickname for Rishi Sunak. So um, okay. Uh, yeah, it's uh, a <laughs> Malcolm didn't watch PMQs. I didn't. Sorry, <laughs> I was very busy. I was, I, this is one week where I just didn't even see it at all. So I'm, I'm leaving this one totally to Carl. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't watch that. I just watched the clip of the two, the the head to head, and it wasn't that <laughs> exciting. There was a bit. Uh, Kirsten was sort of dived in, referencing uh, George Osborne, who I think referred to the, the saying the Tories look like wreckers uh, of the economy. And then Rishi Sunak um, 
because Ed Balls has been talking about the ban of England independence, and Rishi Sunak sort of used Ed, uh, what Ed Balls said to try and sort of defend himself. Um, but the rest, it was just, yeah, there wasn't anything, it was lots of kind of the usual lines, really. But the new one was, you know, because we're, we're keeping an eye on our on the nicknames. We had Sir Softy uh, from Rishi, was it last week? It, really, it didn't stick, did it, really? I mean, it hasn't really stuck. I've not no. heard it mentioned since PMQs last week, so they've been that one. Back to basics. Yeah, Keir's come up with an even less catchy one. He's now referring, he's referred to Rishi as Miss, he's, he's Mr. 24 Tax Rises. It's very precise, uh, isn't it? Yeah. And then next week you'll bid it because you'll make another one. You'd be like, oh, damn it. He's 25 now. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the talk of all of the public houses up and down the country, Mark. <laughs> you want to go to my old comprehensive school. They were much better at creating nicknames, believe me. I mean, they, that was pretty brutal in a northeast sort of 1990s comp. You know, they wouldn't have come up with Mr. 24 Tags Rises. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's a yeah, there's, there's something about that. I think that we can probably pick up another time. Um, I but even dead put a few offers out, really. Um, we'll come up with our our own nicknames for them before the, before before the next election. We'll have some. <laughs> we can... I've got a good one for Kia, Prime All Minister. Right. Uh, hey, but um. Um, uh, yeah, I, and the, the only thing I was going to just sort of touch on is that Rishi's going. Uh, it, it's sort of interestingly given the kind of. Well, not interesting. I, I I think it's. I still think it's politically a weird thing to do to. Sort of major so much on immigration, given how ineffective the Tories are and have proven to be on immigration. I know they've got the yeah you know, they've sort of face down the rebels and stuff on the well not really face down but they placated the rebels on the kind of immigration bill um but the kind of record is not a great one to be trying to bring up day in day out but he did in his sort of final flourish sort of say something about Keir Starmer being on the side of people traffickers um, and then which I just isn't credible, um, but uh, and said that he was in the process of or in the sending back the one thousandth illegal migrant from Albania. So it'll be interesting to see if he keeps counting the number of migrants from Albania that they've he's sending back. To be fair, that's not a good nickname either. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I yeah. So the PMQ is not much uh, rubbish nickname, not much to say this week. I think let's see if they do any better next week. Yeah. So the punch and duty of politics continues with rubbishy nicknames. It's just two like posh dudes having a bit of a, a bit of a Barney on a Wednesday, isn't it? It's it's good fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's always interesting to watch. But yeah, the. Do you, interesting point, Carl. Do you ever watch the the sort of general questions, or is it just a case of like you make sure you get the the back and forth, and then you just kind of move on? Um, mostly, I get bored later on with the other questions. I sometimes I'll I'll watch it. Yeah, you know, but I suppose yeah, we have yeah. professional reasons for watching for issues, but just generally, I mean, just in terms of the you know the the theatre of it. Yeah, the the theatre of it that that's the bit, and it's like you know today it was seven and a half minutes of just them head to head 
and then that's it. And because you don't even get, because at least when the, the Dems had a couple of questions, there'd be, you know, there might be sort of some other kind of exchange. But it, the SNP exchange sometimes is alright and interesting, but often is just, oh, you want to. You're rubbish. We should be independent. So no. Yeah, <laughs> but they're, they're a little bit. They're, they're, they're sort of a little bit knackered at the minute, anyway, aren't they? I mean, there's a whole podcast that we could dedicate to the. It's an ongoing issue. We did touch upon it last week, so we won't repeat it. But um, yeah, the 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 saga continues, and I think that sort of takes the takes the wind out of their sails a little bit in terms of landing big punches on the government. If they, if they do secure a sort of zinger, then the government just. Ask them how that's all going. <laughs> so yeah, no, exactly. It's quite. I mean, it's quite. It's also. Yeah, it's really easy to shut down, and it's often shut down in just slightly different versions in the same way. So, it's just not. Yeah, in, in terms of the entertainment value, it's sort of limited. However, the day of reckoning is approaching, and that is the local government elections, uh, which are happening. Is it next week or is it the week after, Carl? It's next week. It's a week today. Next week, yeah, yeah. Because we'll have to think about whether we do we do we record later on and like a do twenty four hour uh, live election broadcast. What about that? Maybe not. Um, That'd be pretty boring, wouldn't it? I mean, it'll be interesting just to see what state you're in, given like after twelve hours, given what you were like last week when you were tired. That'd be really cool. Um, <laughs> He's still speaking English, ladies and gentlemen. It's good stuff. Um, so, yes, we have the local government predict- predictions section. So, the Conservatives have set a narrative to say that they expect to lose or could lose up to 1,000 seats. Now, the general consensus is that they are marking their own homework in some respects, that they probably expect to lose less than that. And then, if they do lose less than that, they can say, wow, what a great result we had much better than expected. Um, and that tactic has been used before, hasn't it, Jeremy Corbyn, um, in what they expect to have happen at elections. So, Carl, I think I'm going to have us put down a number each on how many seats we think the Tories will lose and how many that we think Labour will win. Do you want okay. to go first? I'm going to write down on a piece of paper because I feel like I don't want to be swayed by yours. So Labour... Uh, okay, I'm just going to pluck a number over that. Looks good. And the Tories lose. There we go. I've got numbers written down. Okay, so the the ballpark that we've got at the moment is that the the Tories reckon it's a thousand. That's sort of a figure that's floating around the media. Doesn't seem to have. I've not seen Labour kind of contest it particularly. Um, well, they'll they'll be well happy with that. So they're kind of going to come out and go, no, nah, you'll do much better than that, lads. <laughs> I feel like at some point you want to manage expectations a little bit, but there's no, no one sort of saying Labour are going to get a thousand gains, so I suppose that leaves that open, doesn't it? Um, so I think just to frame it a little bit, um, it's kind of interesting that, that there's a since May 2019 when these were last held. There's been a big swing towards Labour in the national polls. But actually, in terms of the um, overall numbers, the Tories are polling higher than they were in May 2019 because the Brexit party was on 19% of the vote. Um, And I don't think they got their act together to stand in the local elections. Um, And um, 
but it's just interesting to see that actually they're you know they're actually three points ahead. The other thing about local elections is um, hard to blame potholes on Europe, really. No, that's not what I was going to say. I was going to say in the in the sort of in the trade, they're they're referred to yeah. If you're a campaigner, they're they're turnout elections. So because um, because local elections, the turnout is often in a sort of mid thirties, thirty five percent overall. So yeah, you know, some seats are higher, some seats lower. Um, what it means is that even if your vote's not very big overall, if you've not got loads of voters, if you can turn them all out or a big number of them, more of them than your your opponent, uh, you can still win the seat. Um, which is often why the sort of smaller parties do that bit better because they they're able to kind of drive the turnout of their voters. Uh, often in opposition to you know whatever's going on nationally, sometimes in opposition to so many potholes in the road or whatever it is. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what the Tories' turnout game is like. Um, in terms of the number, I'm going to go... I don't think they're going to lose a 1,000. I think one of the things that will throw a big spanner in the works is voter ID. And I, as much as I think that will cause some level of chaos, um, maybe not as much as I thought. You know, it's one of those, we don't know, but I think it'll, it'll stop some people voting. Mm. I think on... On average, overall, it'll probably that will probably affect Labour voters more than it affects Tories. So I think, yeah, they'll Tories. Let's say they'll lose seven hundred. There's my number, seven hundred. Let's say seven hundred and twelve, just to give it, make it precise. And then I reckon Labour should get the lion's share of those. Um, but the Lib Dems are slightly at their, well, I mean, it's margin of error, really. They're one point ahead of where they were in May 2019 in the polls. Greens are a bit ahead as well. Also worth remembering, there was a shed load of independents that piled in in 2019, who it's a sort of, you know, it's almost impossible to know uh, whether they'll hold, whether they'll gain more. You know, once you've got a big, independent group actually that you know that that's camp out campaigning they could they could grow on the council that they're on they could quite easily hold the independents are often quite easy difficult to get rid of once they're in there um so i reckon labor will get of the 712 i reckon labor good showing 400 of those let's say 423 <laughs> Very good. Um, then, so yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, t- I don't dissent much from your um, logic there, Carl. I think I'm, I was, I'd already written down on the show notes my numbers not to be swayed by your good analysis. And I think I'm broadly in the same ballpark. I actually think that the Conservatives will lose a little bit more. Uh, I'm going to go, I've went for 854, so pretty much in the same sphere. I think they've, um, again, I think there is going to be a big swing where I think Lib Dems are going to do well anywhere where there's sort of marginal seats. I think that's going to be very difficult for them um, because there's a big reason to for people to come out and vote. And that's often, like you say, the big thing uh, is get your vote out. And the people at the party that's organised and will do that more effectively um, will do well. I think it all depends, and, and we've no way of knowing this, but it all depends on how resilient the Conservatives are to do the, the tough bit, which is the door-to-door stuff. Um, I was speaking to a, a colleague a while back, it was a Conservative member, and he said to me that he regularly goes out on the doors 
and he said, even when times are good, it's hard on the doors for a conservative. And he said that without any lightness or jokey uh, sense of humour at all. It was just a statement of fact. And so it's whether or not they've still got the resilience when times are slightly worse. So the abuse to be getting on the doors is, you know, could be pretty bad. And I remember speaking to a, a friend of mine um, in the village I'm from, not particularly political, but was like, oh, I'd love if a Tory knocked on my door. I was like, oh, God, can't imagine how bad that would be for them. And uh, so I think they do get some stick. So it's it's... In terms of how can how resilient are they in tough times to get out there? And I admire anyone who goes out on the doors, politically. I do. I haven't done it myself. I think it's it's really commendable to go out and make your case. Um, but it's going to be tough for them, and they know they're going to get a, a tough result. So I've gone for 854 for the Tories to lose. Um, based on the same sort of logic, Carl, in terms of you, there's always that unknown people before politics, uh, you know, my community first, you know, we've got all the slogans here uh, for the independent votes and the populism. Um, they'll pick up some of that. There'll be some Lib Dem gains. There'll be green gains. Uh, there'll be a usual sort of people who aren't independent independents, but independent parties, which just muddies the waters even more for, for the residents as they try and work out who to vote. Um, so I've gone for plus 632 um, for that. So we'll see. We'll see who's right. I hope I am. I mean, I hope you are as well. I, you know, I was being, pro- you know, I, was, I might be being too pessimistic. I don't know, but no, I just, I, I, think, I, think, it's, real... I think that ballpark will be. If it's any anything dramatically different, if one of us aren't close, I think it would be a big surprise for me. Well, I think that that's the thing about these local elections. I just think that it's going to be odd. I think the the voter ID thing is going to make things weird in a way that we can't quite gauge at this moment in time mm-hmm. and we uh, we touched we touched on it before haven't we i think but mm-hmm. yes the sort of the the person that sort of turns up at the polls in the morning realizes that they haven't got id and then just don't have time to go back you know um wow. even if they do have id and the, the, they just don't have it with them and the fact um, wants my view on it quickly that Whilst I think that I'm not against the principle of having ID for voting, because I think, like I said before, you do all your important stuff needs ID. I do think that it's probably going to have an impact. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see the, the turnouts. And if the turnout's dramatically lower, that makes a really strong case for the integrity of democracy to go back to the way it was, unless you can prove. And maybe I'm contradicting myself, but it's based on, I think, so actual evidence that there's a, an impact. So we're sort of a trial run at this point. Um, I think there's definitely a case for for thinking about whether you can you can go ahead in and in, in effectively if people just don't go out and vote you've got to take that into account um, either issuing people with mandatory ID which we was thought about before and it didn't go down very well and there's political reasons why for example Labour would struggle to support that um, but I do think yeah it'd be interesting to see what impact that does have on on everything. Yeah, no, definitely, and that's um, well, we'll see. Yeah, and I think yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the sort of the impact on the overall turnout figure, like you say, whether it does actually have a genuine, you know, because it might be that it's just a small percentage uh, that it might not be visible, um, you know. But it'll be yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Do you know if the results will be known Friday evening next week? Or whether, because obviously when we normally we normally record this on a Thursday night at eight pm, there's just a little bit of insider podcast knowledge. 
Um, so we we publish it at 5 p.m. on a Friday, but we definitely won't have the results at 8 p.m. on Thursday. Fat polls will still be open. <laughs> yeah, I think it, um, we should have most of the results by the end of Friday because where councils have moved them, they've moved them to count them count in the day, haven't they? Sort of mm. start. Might be nine. worth us doing the the show. Um, on the Friday next week, possibly, just so it's not completely out. Because if we cover it the week after, it'll all be, we'll be way past that. We'll be thinking about the general election then. Yeah, I mean, let's let's organize let's uh, organize this after the after the recording. We can talk. It just shows everyone this is live. This is live. Well, um, it's not live. Yeah. It's recorded, but yeah. well, we don't, well, we don't, we don't edit it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's live when we say it. Um, anyway. Cool. So yes, we'll, we will look at how best to do that. I'm sure our, our three listeners would like to hear what we think. So we'll, we'll, we'll have a look at that. Um, so another announcement that's come out today is the, the Gambling Bill White Paper, uh, which is has been on the cards for a very long time, actually. Um, and there's been lots of engagement. The newspapers have been talking about, you know, lots of money flying around in terms of the, the gambling lobby and how that's all worked out and... and wanting certain things so i just thought i would quickly list the the main bits that came out of the gambling bill white paper today uh, there's going to be a consultation on limits of between two pounds and 15 pounds per spin for online slot machines uh, they're looking at affordability so they are but there's going to be potentially two th- thresholds that could, will be met um of a 125 pound net loss or 1000 pound net loss within 24 hours that will elicit checks uh, on the on the gambler in terms of whether or not they can continue i'm not quite sure on how that exactly works but there's they're, they're going to be intervening um rather than just letting people lose and lose and lose they're also going to look at the the gambling levy reform now this is before my time i'm not quite that old but i do re- uh, recall that back in the 90s you used to have to when you placed a bet you used to have to work out the tax for yourself and add it on and that so you, if you had a pound bet you had to pay a bit more because you had to put a levy on it well they changed that to make it easier for people to place bets i believe um and the companies pay the levy now so they're going to look at the levy and they're going to do that by the end of 2024 um and they're going to decide if the gambling companies have to pay more um they're also going to look at marketing in terms of free bets as incentives they're going to see if that's can something can continue and related to that advertising, they're going to look at technology should be used to target ads away from children and strengthen messages around gambling harm. Because at the moment, you sometimes see on the gambling adverts, it flashes up quickly with that nice yellow screen that you see saying gambling and all this stuff on. But as long as they show it for a split second, it's OK. So I think they're going to look at you know how to make that more practically useful. Um, and you'll notice if you're a sports fan, the Premier League have uh, already started phasing out. And by the end of the start of next season, there'll be no more gambling companies on uh, shirts, which clearly sell a lot. And if you're a Newcastle fan, there's currently uh, betting on the front of it. And so fans are going to be walking around advertising uh, gambling companies. The statutory levy is also uh, a statutory levy. Sorry, is also going to be collected and distributed by the Gambling Commission to fund research, education and treatment into gambling harms. So that's just a, an overall view. The thing that people have been talking about a lot, Carl, is the, the views, I'm holding up my mobile phone here, they're saying there's a Las Vegas on, in, in everyone's hand um, and that the bill needs to reflect that. So I don't know whether you have any sort of interest in this area of policy, Carl. I'm a poker fan. I don't really play. I don't play. 
ever. I, I like the game. I watch it on Twitch. I watch people playing and sometimes losing a lot of money, but I don't personally like losing money, so I don't tend to play. But I enjoy the game. Um, I have a friend who plays professionally in Vegas and has done for 20 years. I went to university with. Um, just wondering where you stand on this, if there's any comments you want to make on it. Um, I mean, I think sort of generally I'm not opposed to kind of in the sort of general principles, I'm not you know opposed to more regulation of gambling. I think your point about having a Las Vegas in your hand is you know is is right. It's very easy to um, you know I, I'm not someone that gambles lots. Um, occasionally, I'll put a bet on sort of politics, um, and sometimes I've won and sometimes I've lost. I did Just three- to jump in on that, I had a friend who made a big bet early doors on George Galloway winning in Bradford in 2012 and oh, right. did, did very well yeah I put one on uh, Barack Obama winning the presidency first time around very long time ago now 2008 um, yeah I made some money um, I, I yeah I was I mean I was convinced from very early on that he was gonna be you know I was followed him from even when he was up against Hillary, and I was convinced that he was going to win, uh, and I was right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, and I think at one point I I bet on the 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 year of the general election. It might have been twenty nineteen. I think I put some money on that, and it was quite clear that you know we weren't going to make it to the end of the year without, without one. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I tend to want to have a have an idea of. Uh, I was going to go, um, but the, the, on, uh, but on the sort of the gambling, I, I've got the National Lottery app, um, so I very occasionally play the like Euro Millions or whatever. I think as most do, most people do, and I've have tried the um, those um, the mini game, whatever they are, the the sort of mini games that they have on there. Those are quite addictive. I've sort of I've just stopped ever going near those. So I, I totally get the idea that actually. Um, for things like that, and that, yeah, that's just a national lottery. It's not, you know, it's not a kind of eight 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 dot com or whatever it is that's that um, is a kind of profit driven gambling company. I can see how quite easily you could you could get sucked into that kind of stuff, and having a bit more regulation around that is is a good thing. Yeah, I think. I mean, I know that I watched it. If you watch the documentaries about um, gambling addiction, Paul Merson did a brilliant one where they analysed his brain um, and they showed him pictures of things that men would normally be like. So, for example, attractive ladies, food, football matches, and and attract his brain activity when when he saw when he was shown these pictures and he's in one of these like MRI machines. And for him, who who he admits that he has a, a really big gambling issue, um, the only the only time his brain showed any real activity was when he was shown something related to gambling, like poker chips or casinos or roulette tables. And I just thought that's so sad because it, they said that basically the only thing that gives him that lift, that, that endorphin hit, is, is gambling. And I just can't relate to that because I've been around it for for years. You know, I've, I've got, I, I enjoy poker. I, I can go into a betting shop sometimes just to relax. I'll go in and have like two lucky 15 bets like for like three pound each on greyhounds just for someone to watch and i just sit and it takes like say 45 minutes i just sit and enjoy the surroundings and it just there's no pull to me whatsoever so i'm one of the lucky ones i don't have that any sort of addictive pull to on anything 
Um, I think it's more my personality that I sort of flip from activity to activity on anything. I'm, I'm a bit skittish that way in general. But it's hard for me to relate to it. So I don't, and it, this, I'm not pro gambling. I'm not anti gambling either. Um, I do think that we have to have, you know, proportionate protections in place. I used to work in, as listeners will probably know, I used to work in a bootmakers back in 2004 and five. And we took a lot of money out of those roulette machines. Now, admittedly, some people used to come in, which was very irritating, put 100 quid into the machine, have one spin and then cash out for 90. And they kept doing that over and over. So I'd end up with all the money in there. So I had to go in and empty it and count it. It was just a bit of a nightmare. But people thought that was how you won. Because, you know, like in a fruit machine, people sometimes put the pound in, listen to see if it goes in the hopper or not. If it goes in the hopper, that means the, the cash things are full, so it's going to pay out, apparently. I mean, I don't think that, that is true, but um, people have all sorts of little tricks that they think work, um, and generally speaking, the numbers are, you know, the, the, the house wins because the house has a mathematical edge, but uh, it plays to human nature in some ways, but um, for me personally, I've never been in any way, shape, or form vulnerable to it, and if I was, I would have probably, you know, I would have had to have been staying away from it, um, but it's just got no pull whatsoever. So I find it hard to relate to that addictive thing that you mentioned, Carl. It's just not something that's ever bit me. So I'm really interested in it in terms of being so distant from it. You know, I get that people get this. Because I get friends of mine who have like addictive personalities. And there's one round me up, he said he got the new FIFA game. Mm. Um, and obviously you can do like the loot box stuff on there, which, which I've done a bit of work on in the past. And that's like seen as a way of introducing kids to gambling. But the addictive bit that got me was he said, oh, I've been playing on it for 16 hours. I haven't been to bed. And I'm like, how, what? It just that, that part of my brain just doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a few different things in there. And it was probably a bit, a little bit away from the, the, the white paper. I think, I mean, it's quite easy. I mean, when I, I don't play video games really much at all anymore. Um, but when I was a kid, we, you know, I remember Mega Man X. We spent the whole weekend trying to win that, and that was oh. without any kind of. <laughs> and I think it was like I think it was like June or something. And it was quite nice outside, and we were sort of <laughs> plugged it. I mean, I don't think I ever actually completed it in the end. But um, but yeah, and on, on the addictive side, I, I'm sort of with you in the in for most of my life. Uh, well, generally speaking, whenever I've sort of you know played the lottery or you know, put a bet on or something, I get really annoyed when I lose and then I just don't do it for ages. That's yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of my approach. I'm just like, oh. And so I've, I don't, I've never had that sort of, yeah, like you say, addictive pull. Apart from, I could I could see, like, do, doing those mini-games on the lottery app, I could see, how, like, yeah, how you could get, like, oh, actually, I almost got it then, I'll go back in, even though you, logically you know that that's not the case, because like you say, it's all about the the the, the odds and the algorithm behind it, yeah. and it chucks out wins every however often, so that they always they always win. But you, the way that they're designed, I can see exactly how you could you could totally get sucked in, um, and that and like I say, it's just the, that's the national lottery and something that you know, yeah. probably millions of people have that app on their phone. Um, it's not one of the kind of more gambling, you know, one of the kind of but, more I mean, serious gambling sites. I, I, yeah, I've got a friend who's, whose partner plays a lot of online uh, app bingo, and that's another one that people don't talk about much as a, as a sort of danger. But anywhere that you can wager money, you know, you can get through a lot. And I think some of these limits will slow people down. But, you know, if you're playing £2 and £15 a spin, you're still going to burn through 
a fair bit of money quite quickly. Um, and just to take it back to the, the, the way this will progress through, through Parliament, there's a big pro-gambling uh, lobby out there that, that, that have, a, have some influence because you know government earns a lot of duty from these things. Um, they also employ a lot of people. So they have, you know, a lot to, a lot to, to sort of say on it. And also, the, the interesting thing about the, this issue that we mentioned, the, the Grand National race and the protests there, uh, so there has been, it has been a, a sort of live issue recently, just around the space, because obviously betting fundamentally is linked to horse racing, obviously. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this, this goes through the house, because there is um, a lot of. I remember when I worked for an MP, uh, they used to we used to occasionally get a a lobbying sort of letter from a, a, any company uh, I remember which one it was but it wouldn't really be fair to say which one because it's not a critique at all and they would say come and have a bet come into the shop come and meet us talk to us and then have a bet on us of I think it was like 25 quid or something and then if you win we'll donate that to charity so I remember the MP I worked for used to write back and say well thanks for the offer please donate that 25 quid anyway <laughs> and I don't know, I'm pretty sure they, they didn't, but yeah, that was the hook they tried to to have those conversations. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so, um, and we also know about Scott Benton and his various issues. He's been a, a pro gambling lobby MP, I think. He's been getting some hot water. So you can research that in your own time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's uh, wave that. Why don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Um, always good to another do, Tory good to MP in <laughs> yeah um, so uh, moving over the Atlantic um, this is an interesting one Carl as we as we come towards the end here um, Joe Biden confirms that he intends to stand again as as president um, and I believe he'll be 82 when the next election comes around therefore 86 <coughs> by the time he would finish his second term I will let you comment first. Um, I think that is good news, and uh, you know, coming on from the betting conversation, I've already put a bet on him winning the next election. <laughs> not a lot of money; I think it was like five quid or something. But you, you know, you got not bad odds given how far out we are. Mm. Um, I mean, it looks like at the moment that um, you know, barring him going to prison, which isn't impossible. Um, Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. Uh, Rick De Sanctimonious, as uh, Trump likes to call him, Rick. Uh, this, not Rick. Uh, De Ron, not Rick. Ron DeSantis. Ron, Ron, Rick Santorum is a different American politician. Ron, Ron DeSantis, who's the governor of Florida. This is going well, isn't it? Um, yeah, Ron DeSantis. Uh, it seems to be at the moment he's be going down in a ball of flames. I don't think he's he, he's not doing a good job of. Yeah, you know, he's decided to go to war with Disney for some reason, which doesn't seem wise. As you generally. Do. Yeah, he's, uh, threatened to build a prison next to Disneyland. All right. Um, so uh, yeah, so I yeah I, I think uh, Biden beat him last time. I think he can beat him again. I think his age, to some degree, doesn't matter. I mean, obviously, you know, as you get older, there's the risk that you, you know, you might not last last your term. But I think there's, you know, you can't sort of, you can't legislate for that kind of thing, and you're not. Gonna... No, I think. I mean, 
be, you've got to be hard nosed about these things. I actually didn't think he would stand um, because I thought that you know at that age, you know, he, he was getting on, and I thought that it would probably be his intention to do one term and then and then step away. And in some ways, there was a a tacit agreement. Again, this was just purely you know in my head, but I think other people had the same assessment that Kamala Harris was being groomed in some ways to take over in terms of getting prepared to to be the first uh, American woman president. Um, but then, you know, it is ultimately up to Joe Biden. Uh, the polls suggest that Trump does have a good chance at the minute. But I think that um, what what I did notice that when Biden declared, his port, there's been no backlash. So there's been no kind of uh, visible sign where people have said, oh, come on, Joe, you, you, you know, you just have to go. I think his age is an issue. Um, he will be the oldest president. Uh, to, I think he was the oldest president already. So, you know, again, he'll break his own records. Um, and I think that, you know, whether we like it or not, that will become a talking point. Um, there would have been a talking point on Trump's age, actually. Uh, I believe he would be 78, if I'm not mistaken. I, I may be slightly out there, but he's not far off. Yeah. Um, and, and that, again, in America, it's quite fascinating, Carl, the, the culture of politics in, in America. We look at someone like Tony Blair, who's been out of public office now for uh, almost, I think, 15 years. In fact, it is uh, 16 years now. Um, and the idea of him coming back, people might think, well, he's, he's had his time, you know. He's a great deal younger. I mean, 65, so he's not, you know, dead young, but... Um, or 66 now maybe uh, in America that would not be anything at all of a, of a barrier whatsoever I think there's a, a thought over here that look at someone like David Cameron if he came back now people would be like oh he's, he's been gone a while he's he had his time had his day um, and no well, I mean I think there's other issues with David Cameron now since, he's, since what he's Absolutely. been doing with... I couldn't think of anybody else who was quite young who'd left sorry it's bad creativity on my part <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's. I think the the two. I mean, there's lots of difference. I mean, we've got a lot of older people in the House of Lords, for example. I mean, I don't think you know. If you're talking about prime ministers, yeah, I suppose so. But I think there's there's every chance at some point, you know, that we get an old, we get a an older prime minister. I don't think it's you know we have in the the past had had older people than than sort of uh, the Blairs and Camerons and Nick Cleggs of this world. Um, but I think the the thing about the American politics without is without being unkind, Carl Theresa May was on the older side of of forty. Well, I mean, Keir Starmer Keir Star was in his fifties, isn't he? I believe. So I'm going to have to check this now. You carry on. <laughs> <laughs> with whatever it is I'm saying, uh, yeah, I mean, the, I think the the problem is that the Democrat, both the Democrats and Republicans, have been snookered by Trump. Uh, Trump is is such a dominant figure in the Republican Party uh, to the point where it looks like, despite all of his the various legal investigations into him, the fact that. You know, he incited a violent mob to try and overthrow the result of the last election that he stood in, uh, and on and on and on. He he is the de facto leader of the Republican Party, and it looks like he'll you know he's in a strong position to get enough votes to be the nominee again. 
Uh, and on the other side, Joe Biden is the one that was able to beat him. Um, there aren't obvious, you, know, you talked about Kamala Harris, there aren't obvious other candidates other than Joe Biden that have the strength with the voters that they need to get over the line. So I think it, it's a sort of, it's the kind of small C conservative choice because they don't, they, they want to stop Trump <laughs> fundamentally. Yeah. Um, and Biden's proven like the midterms he did, he delivered to your point, to our point earlier about sort of setting expectations. He beat expectations in the midterms. They were able to do better than they expected even with Biden's approval rating is not being in a great place at that point. Um, and presumably think that they can do the, the same again up against Trump. So, yeah, I think that's uh, the age is, is a thing, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that's, yeah, they're, they're there for a reason. You know, curious 60. There you go. So time is everything we said. Yeah, <laughs> Kira sixty. He's going to win the next election, and he will be there for at least twenty years. So uh, we'll be talking about this again until I'm ready to take over, and then you know. <laughs> or just be the official podcast, which would probably be the same thing as being in charge. Official government podcast. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? Can't think of anyone better than me. Can't think of so uh, yes, I'll, can Sorry. I add a small thing to the agenda? Um, before we before we sign off, just because it uh, and it's probably not the hugest story this week, but um, there's obviously a lot going on in the ho- housing world. The the Tories have left a sort of massive gaping open goal for the Labour Party on housing, largely, and I'm sure again we'll come back to it and possibly after the locals. Uh, but this week, uh, I think it was today, this morning, Labour Party report um, showing that childborn today. Only one in three of, of any child born today will be able to afford to buy their own home by the time they're 50. Um, wow. Putting paid to the idea that the Conservatives are the party of home ownership, which I think they've in the past claimed to be. Um, and I, you know, again, sort of, I haven't looked at all the all the underlying detail, but you know, the presumption is that a big chunk of that third are people that have got deposits or whatever and help from their parents. So I remember feeling very upset when there was official bank, uh, sort of a pathway to home ownership was bank of mum and dad. Yeah. I remember thinking if that's official advice, that is awful to read because that should not be the case that you should be able to get on the property ladder yourself with your own means on a moderately good wage and if you can't do that, that is just awful. I've, I've always, I wrote years ago, and this was before I was, I don't think anyone ever read it, but I wrote an article on uh, how we could end up, you know, you talk about working class, middle class, upper class, the class system, um, end up in a, with a two class system, home ownership or not. And it's very difficult to get through to one to the other. Obviously, it's easy to come from home ownership to none, but uh, to get from not having a home to having a home, you could end up in a situation where that. Is just a huge step to take, and I think we're getting close to that now, Carl. So that, that's a very concerning stat to to, to hear. Um, something something needs to be done. Someone should do something, and it always should be the Labour Party. Yeah. Um, so we look look forward to reading their proposals on how they sort that out because that is a big problem. And I can't think of anything more demotivating for people to just watch 
a lot of their wages um, just go on renting accommodation to somebody else and money that could go towards, you know, saving for a deposit. You know, I remember looking into I was lucky I bought, um, using a government scheme actually, in 2012 I bought a house, I, mean, I bought a house, I, I got on the property ladder, they owned me for the next 20 years. Um, but I've, you know, I'm very fortunate to be in that position. I don't take it lightly. Um, and I think I bought my house when I was 31. It felt like I'd waited forever. But that yeah. would be seen as a big win for a lot of people, and I totally appreciate that. Yeah, no, definitely. And, um, yeah, I won't sort of on it too. But, yeah, I'm in a share ownership property, so I don't, yeah, own the, I mean, yeah, I don't, yeah, own the full full flat um, and that feels but, I mean, down, I mean I'm, again I'm based in the northeast where it's a lot easier still to, to get on the ladder in certain areas um, than, what it, than what it is in different parts of the country it's massively more different if I bought this house elsewhere I don't think I could yeah no, certainly but I, but I was going to sort of agree with your point that you know where I think was, I was 35 when we moved in here and like say that felt like, like a long time like if you know 50 i mean uh, uh, you, you, once you get to you, you get the you're at, you, you just can't once you once you get to 50 often because the mortgage that you need isn't long enough you can't get, you can't get a 25 year mortgage um when you're 50 a lot of the time lenders just won't lend um so anyway Let's, let's move on. I just sort of throw that in at the end. Cause no, I thought good, it was no it's a good to... point. And I think that is a, an area of policy that, you know, Labour can make a real difference if it can come up with some solutions. So keep, you know, watch this space. Um, and that does just about bring us to the end of this week's podcast for another week. And a big thank you to you, Carl, and also to our listeners for lasting the course. Do you have any final words before we wrap up? Uh, no, not at all. Thanks for listening. See you next week for the exciting results of the local election. Yeah, I can't wait. So uh, this podcast will self-destruct in one second. Bang. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>